0: Let's turn in our Bibles now to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, and we'll look at verses 1 through 3 this morning, as well as some other verses, but that's where we'll start and where I'd like for you to camp out. And I don't know what you're doing at your house this year, but this year we put up the Christmas tree and started listening to a little Christmas music way earlier than we normally do. And we did that because we needed a reason to celebrate. We needed a reminder of the reasons we have for joy and gratitude and thankfulness, uh, the reasons we have to um, be at peace despite all the trouble and conflict we see around us in the world. And the good news is that Christmas can bear the extra weight. When we read the Christmas story, we can take little snippets from the Gospels, and um, we we can get the basic idea of Christmas in some small little chunks, but if you listen carefully to what Mary says, and what Zechariah says, and if you pay attention to what the angel says, and you take notice of how Matthew and Luke tell the story of the first Christmas, you will realize that they are not merely talking about a significant event at a particular moment in time. They are talking about the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures and all the Old Testament promises. You'll hear them mention names like Abraham and David and Elijah. You'll hear hear words like covenant promises you you'll hear prophecies from Isaiah and Micah those who experienced the first Christmas they recognized it as the fulfillment of something promised long ago of a plan that God had put in motion centuries before that he was now faithfully bringing to fulfillment So the story of Christmas is more than a couple of chapters in Matthew and a couple of chapters in Luke. It's more than the manger scene and the angels and the wise men. It is the fulfillment of ancient prophecies. It is the culmination of covenants made with Abraham and David. It is the beginning of the answer to humanity's greatest longings and hardships stretching all the way back to Adam and Eve. And so my hope for us this year is to walk through some of that story, that long story, together. To see what Christmas has to do with Genesis 1, and with Abraham, and with David. To go as deep as we can into the hope and joy and glory of the coming of Christ. So our key passage this morning is going to be Genesis 12, 1-3, but we're going to begin with Genesis chapter 1. You might remember in Genesis chapter 1, the refrain of the chapter is that when God created something and He spoke something into existence, He said over and over again, "And God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And then at the end of the chapter, He saw that it was very good. And Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 describe a world that is at the same time very similar to the world that we live in now and very different. It's very similar because when we read the creation account, we read how God uh, separated the light from the darkness and the Dry land from the waters, and He created the sun and the moon and the stars and all the plants and animals and created the first man and the first woman. We recognize all those things because that's the heavens and earth, that's the world that we live in. And yet, Genesis 1 and 2 describes a world where there is not yet death, not yet disease, not yet suffering, not yet hardship. It's an unfallen world. It's a very good world in a way that our world, uh, though it's still good because God created it, it is no longer unfallen. It is no longer uncorrupted. When we get to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve choose to believe the serpent rather than God, and through their disobedience and rebellion and sin, they bring into the world curse and and death and everything that comes with that. Marriage is made harder. Childbearing is made harder. Just living and eating is made harder. Adam is told he's, he will eat bread by the sweat of his brow. When we get to Genesis chapter 6, there is corruption and violence running rampant upon the earth and so God decides to wipe out most of humanity through a flood as the just judgment for their sin and corruption. He saves one family, saves Noah and his sons and Noah's wife and his son's wives. But even after they come off the ark into what is in essence sort of a new creation, a a fresh start, we still see sin, corruption, corruption, We move into Genesis chapter 11 where um, people will try to build a tower into the heavens to make a name for themselves in direct disobedience to God's instruction to spread out over the face of the earth and to, to fill the earth. And so after the initial blessing that God pronounces on creation, he blesses the Animals and tells them to be uh, fruitful and multiply. He blesses the first man and the first woman in Genesis 1:28 and, and tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. After that initial blessing, what we see is curse and judgment and corruption. And so when we read that first part of the story, Genesis 1 through 11, we're reminded that we were created to live, under the blessing of God, but because of humanity's sin and rebellion against God, instead, we live under the curse of God. We live under the judgment of God as a result not only of Adam's sin, but our own sin. We are reminded that God doesn't owe us His blessing, but we crave it. We long for it. And often we seek it in the wrong places. But when we get to Genesis chapter 12, we begin to get the answer to a couple of questions. One is, is God going to let us stay under the curse, which is what we deserve? Or is he going to do something to restore his blessing to us, the blessing that we need? And if he's going to restore that blessing to us, how is he going to do it? How is he going to bring that to pass? Genesis chapter 12 begins to answer that question. Now there are a couple of hints even before chapter 12 that let us know not all hope is lost. Right? Um, in chapter 9, when Noah comes off the ark with his family, God blesses him like he blessed Adam and Eve and tells him and his sons also to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth just like he told Adam and Eve. In Genesis 9, 26, uh, Noah blesses the Lord. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And that blessing of the Lord, the God of Shem, is also sort of a way of blessing Shem. And from Shem, from his line, is going to come Abraham, And from Abraham is going to come the restoration of God's blessing upon the earth. Here's what God says in verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, that was his name at this time, later it will be changed to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there are three things that God promises to Abraham in that passage. The first one is is the promise of land. He tells Abraham to leave the land that he's from and go to a new land that God is going to show him, a new land that God is going to provide for him. The second thing he promises him is that he is going to bless him. And that's a key word for us, right? We've already noticed there's the blessing in the beginning, then there was the curse, and we're wondering, is God going to bless his people again? And here we're told not only is God going to bless Abraham, but at the end of verse 3, He says that in Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So just as in the beginning, God blessed his whole creation. Now God is saying, once again, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. I'm going to bless people from all over the place. And Abraham, I'm going to do it through you. It's through Abraham and through his family that God is going to restore his blessing to the earth. Now, how is he going to do that? How is God once again going to bring blessing upon the earth? Well, he's going to do that through the third promise he makes to Abraham, which is the promise of offspring. He tells Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation. Well, how do you become a great nation? We've got to have some... Children, right? You got to have some people. And then later, he tells Abraham in verse seven, "To your offspring I will give this land." Right. So he promises Abraham that he's going to have a numerous offspring. He's going to make him a great nation, and he's going to bless all the families of the earth through him. Now that shouldn't catch us by surprise because also from the beginning God has been connecting His blessing to children, to offspring. Again, back in Genesis, when God blessed Adam and Eve, what was the blessing he pronounced over them? The blessing was, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And when he blessed Noah and his family after the flood, it was the same thing. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And not only that, but back in Genesis chapter 3, After Adam and Eve had sinned, because Eve listened to the serpent, and then Adam listened to Eve, God pronounced a curse on the serpent, and part of the curse against the serpent was actually a blessing for us, a promise for us. When God said to the serpent, I will put enmity, hostility, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he, one of those offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So from the very beginning God has been connecting his blessing and his most uh, significant and earliest promise to offspring, to children. And all through the story of Abraham, after God says, I'm going to Bless all the families of the earth through you. And we wonder, how is he going to do that? The whole story of Abraham, it revolves around all three of those promises. The promise of land, the promise of blessing, and the the uh, promise of children. But the promise that really drives the story is the promise of children. We're told, even before Genesis chapter 12, we're told that, Sarah Abraham's wife is barren she can't have any children so how is God going to make him a great nation how is God going to give the offspring of Abraham this land that he's promised if his wife can't have any kids And so after a while of waiting and wondering Sarah comes up with a plan to give her servant Hagar to Abraham and have a child by her Abraham and Hagar do have a child named Ishmael, but that's not what God was talking about. That was not the plan, and Ishmael is not the promised offspring. They wait a long time. It gets to the point where not only is, do we know Sarah is barren, but it's doubly impossible for Sarah to have a child. And yet God says to Abraham and Sarah in their old age, I'm going to come to you about a year from now, And you're going to have a child. And so finally, Sarah has a son. They name him Isaac. And then what does God ask them to do? Ask them to sacrifice Isaac. To go up to a place that God will show him. And to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God. Abraham trusts God, despite the fact that this makes absolutely no sense. He goes up with Isaac onto the mountain, and just as he is about to slaughter his only son, his promised son, the one that all the promises of God seem to hang upon, an angel stops Abraham, tells him not to sacrifice his son. And then here's what God says to Abraham at that climactic, dramatic moment. Here's the answer to our questions about how God is going to restore his blessing to the earth. He says to Abraham, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So it is through Isaac, and through the offspring of Abraham that are to come, that God is going to bless all the nations of the earth. So from the very beginning, God makes plain that children are a blessing. In every child is the reminder of the undeserved blessing of God. But there is one child in particular who is going to bring the ultimate blessing. And of course, that child is Jesus. And it's no accident that the New Testament makes very clear to us that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. If we go back to Genesis, to Galatians chapter 3, which we read from earlier, Paul makes this about as clear as anywhere in the New Testament um, makes this connection. That Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, and through Jesus as the offspring of Abraham is the blessing that was promised to Abraham, finally going to come to all of the earth. There's a lot in here that we could look at, but let me just point to a couple of things. Notice in verse eight that Paul of, of Galatians chapter three, that Paul quotes our key passage from Genesis chapter 12. He says in verse 8, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So Paul saying, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. That was an early preaching of the gospel that was a declaration that God was going to justify even the gentiles even the nations by faith that they would be counted right with God that they would have their sins forgiven by faith and that that good news was going to come to the world through Abraham and how did that happen look down at verse 16 Paul says the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. That's what we've just seen in Genesis. <clears throat> it does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. In other words, Paul's saying all along, the offspring of Abraham that God was promising and preparing us for was the Messiah, was Jesus, was the Son of God come in the flesh. And those promises of blessing that God was making all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 they were ultimately meant to come to us from the beginning through the one ultimate offspring of Abraham and that is Jesus the Messiah himself but how is God going to bring blessing to people like us who deserve the curse Paul answers that in verses 13 and 14 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that is, to us, to all the nations. Jesus came and died on the cross, taking our place, taking our sin, taking our curse in our place, so that we would no longer be under the curse of God, which is what we deserve, but instead, the blessing that God promised to give to the nations through Abraham would come to us, not just through Abraham, but ultimately through Christ himself, the ultimate offspring of Abraham. This is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what we want everyone to hear and know and believe. And Paul wraps it up in a nice little package for us. There's a great little summary of Christmas in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. I'll close with these verses. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And that is what Christmas is all about. Let's pray.